What is your pet peeve? Biggest all-time pet peeve. I'd just say people either with poor manners or just bad drivers. Bad no, drivers? Going from one extreme to the other, but yeah, I gotta say a bad driver. What's a bad, like, what specifically about a bad driver? Just not driving the speed limit or just... I, no, the biggest pet peeve I have with bad drivers is not putting your blinker on before you make a turn. Yeah. That is the absolute worst. I go bananas. That's I'm coming from a guy who works in the insurance industry. Yeah. You know? It drives me nuts. The reason I ask is because apparently my wife's pet peeve is when I leave the closet open. And I quite I really don't understand why that's a pet peeve. Can you shed any light on that? Like, do you have any prior experience to why leaving a closet door open might well, I'm not might married. rub someone the wrong way. I'm not married myself, but my mom drives me nuts with that. I guess, I don't know, it's got to be the house has to just look clean or they just don't want your personal belongings being out in the open. I don't know. It's, just, it's a woman thing we'll never understand, man. Yeah, I don't get it. Don't get it. Women. <laughs> Love her. But yeah, just literally they like, put my jacket in the closet, left it open, and just got got the business before we came live on air just got a big uh big lecture on how you know how you got to keep it closed and then you said you get the same thing from sometimes at home oh well pet peeves we all got them welcome episode seven we've done this podcast for seven weeks now how are you liking it so far are you doing well time flies when you're having fun yeah yeah literally like we come on the or we come on the air i guess uh not you know we're doing this not live, but, um, you know, we're, we're winging, not winging it, but we're coming on no script. We're talking, we're chatting and time flies when we're on like an hour and a half. Sometimes we're just, you know, we're talking and the the time's flying and it's fun. Seven weeks, uh, episode seven here on purposely offside, just me and, uh, me here, Anthony and Jordan, uh, today, Brian couldn't, uh, couldn't make it with us today. I'm sure he'd have a lot to say. Yeah, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week. We talked. I mean, we opened talking about uh, pet peeves. Um, my pet peeve is stubborn people. I'm stubborn sometimes, but stubborn people. And I think this is a good segue into the leaves. Perfect. Is it perfect? Perfect. Why is it perfect? Because out of I would say all of the. Uh, when you talk stubbornness and you want to talk about, you know, veteran or even good coaches in the NFL or any, excuse, NFL, NHL, um, why, why do the Toronto Maple Leafs just have to have the most stubborn coach in the NHL? Yeah, I think if... Why? We, we um, always, we, we talked about it throughout the year. And I think... Uh, Watching Game Six, Game Seven, watching the whole series between Toronto and Boston unfold, really solidified Babcock as the most stubborn coach. And you know what? Sometimes that's not a bad thing. But we'll talk on today's show on some of the reasons why it was a quote bad thing for the Leafs, and maybe how it, you know, led to them getting defeated in seven games again by the Boston Bruins. So Game Seven. You know, um, we we did a podcast shortly. A day before. The day before. A day before game seven. Um, I I wasn't feeling that good about it. I felt like once game six 
was over and they lost 4-2. I feel like that was the series. Um, that was that was my take on it. You you felt pretty good. I made a bold. Yeah, you made a bold prediction. Bold and wrong. Bold, completely <laughs> wrong. But whatever. I mean, I, I appreciate your optimism. I think it's something Leafs maybe, maybe Leaf fans need to have more of is optimism. But I think as Brian argued last time, why have optimism when this team is giving you no reason to be optimistic? Mm-hmm. Right? So we start off with game seven. Let's start off with our with our general thoughts. It's just completely disappointed. Mm-hmm. I mean it started off with a, with a bang. You you look at game one, they come out flying. They go into Boston, and they just completely dominate them in game one. And then, as this, you know, it was, it was a typical Boston-Toronto series. It was a typical series that everyone predicted. Everyone, even in the hockey world, predicted that that series was going seven, no matter what. And I think the frustrating part about it is that it didn't have to go seven. And even though, even though we all thought it was going to go seven and all the experts mm-hmm. thought it was going to go seven, it was one of those series where the Leafs played so well throughout six games, maybe minus game two, that the series probably shouldn't have gone to seven games. I think that was the frustrating well, and thing. And that's why I had so much optimism going into game seven is because they had been playing so well. Um and it was just a completely different look from them compared to the prior years. And you actually thought, you know, just just sitting there watching the series unfold, that this could very well be the year that they get over the hump. And you think so? You would think so. Um, and that's why you know there was a lot of optimism, and there there should have been a lot of optimism from Lee fans. And and but you know, heading into Boston for Game Seven, the minute the puck was dropped. It just seemed like they just reverted back to the the Leafs of last year or even like the Leafs of prior years or they just completely just fell apart during that game and they just came out and laid an egg. And here's the thing. They even started the game playing pretty good. Like they, yeah, they, they, survived, they survived the first 10 minutes without a penalty or a goal. I so think any time you can survive the first 10 minutes of a hockey game on the road yeah. in the playoffs, a little bit of momentum builds for the away team for the road team and they played a solid first 10 minutes and and you know then anderson concedes a questionable goal and it's all downhill from there and well i mean maybe it's not all downhill from there i mean they boston went up two nothing you never want to go down two two oh but it happened they get back on track in the second when Tavares gets an early goal completely own the second i should say one of the best second periods i've seen the leafs play all year they were dominant, winning every puck, getting shots on goal. I think they might have even wasted, in hindsight, they might have wasted a lot of energy in that second period. Um, and I think when they came away from that second period to only get one goal out of all that mm-hmm. pressure, uh, there wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, the way they were playing in the second, I thought for sure they were going to end up tying it up. Yeah. And they're yeah. going to go into the third uh, two all. But, I mean, anytime you go into a game seven and you're – you trail early and you're down two. I mean, it's never a good spot. I mean, you're 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 gonna it's, have to. It's not a good. You gotta spot. push that much harder. It's no. not a good spot. But the difference is that those prior game sevens, 2013 and last year, uh, 2018, 
they had the lead in those games. They were up one nothing in, in uh, Game 7 last year. They were up 4-3 going into the third period. So it's almost like, okay, well, maybe this is a... Maybe you know this is is this is the Leafs doing things the other way now. Maybe yeah. they're down and they're going to make the comeback this time. Yeah, we t- we talked about that. Yeah, because we you know we watched the game together and we even said that going into the third period, this is a completely different script compared to prior years. So you know we there was that bit of optimism, saying, "Wow, maybe this team." And and the history showed like even over the course of the year, the Leafs are always a good team coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never want to be down, especially going into game the third period of Game Seven, but. The Leafs were a very good comeback team this year, and they and they show that they can come back and win games. So, you know, the fact that they weren't leading and and the narrative was completely different compared to the past series, you, you had that sort of optimism, like wow, maybe they can come back and do it, or at least force overtime, and then who knows what happens. But I mean, uh, once again, that third period was just, just yeah. Just as soon as, soon as um, it was terrible. As, as soon as a third goal went in, which it's a questionable goal, it's some it's probably a shot Anderson would want back one that probably he should save, that really deflated the team. Really deflated the yeah. team. And, and at the end of the day, it, it's tough to ask Toronto to go into Boston to win a third game in a series. This should have this series, there was a couple opportunities. We talked about um, this on our previous podcast. I'll say it again. There was game four and there was game six as real opportunities to take advantage of the Boston Bruins and step on their throats, the whole step on their whole, uh, sorry, step on their throat mentality. And they didn't do it. Yeah. They couldn't find a way to kill the Bruins. The Bruins stayed alive, and that's what happens when you keep a good team alive. Yeah. When you well, give them hope. And, and like you just mentioned, hats off to the Bruins. Yeah, hats they off. Showed, they just showed how good and experienced of a team they still are i mean like to ha- to have a team like them up against the the ropes for a couple of games and especially a crucial game six and for them to just you know not panic and and fight back and end up winning the series i mean it just obviously shows that they're they're still one of the best teams in the league um i mean obviously they're they're taking columbus right now but um I mean, yeah. The, the, we, we, we hate you guys, Bruins yeah, fans. Or Bruins. And you, but, but, but kudos. You tip your cap. Tip your cap to you guys. You guys own us in the playoffs. We, we learned that we can lose any way to you. And, you know, we can lose having a lead. We can lose um, having not having a lead. The Bruins, they got our number. And eventually, there's, there's got to be something uh, the Leafs can do going forward to get over that hump. Because eventually, they're going to have to get over that hump. Well, I think it's just going to be experience, the, the, the experience of losing. I mean, we all. We well, how, how about, many times do they have to leave, that's lose? That's the thing. You talked about a process, and it's like you know, some teams, and and especially with how young the Leafs are. I don't, I don't want to. I, I don't agree with that. The young, twenty-one years old, the players young. in the prime, young, but you have other players and other teams doing the exact same thing. Like Carolina's players are young. Carolina has a very veteran lineup, though. They arguably have. If you look at, they arguably have a, a more veteran lineup. Okay, so they got Justin Williams, veteran player, Mister Game Seven. But then on Toronto's side, you have like Patrick Marlowe. Like Riley's not a young gun anymore. Like Riley's a experienced. He's twenty four, but he's like one of the most experienced. I would even say that Justin Williams is way more experienced than Marlowe. Well, and considering you can, his cup and runs you can also and argue that Justin, history and everything, he's also he's also a better hockey player than Patrick Marlowe right now at this point in his career. Um, I just don't buy the whole they're too young thing. I think if if these are the guys you're giving big money to, and these are the guys you run a role with, 
If this is your core, your core's got to step up. What other, ex- like, what, what else would you add in terms of experience? Let's say you're dubious at the deadline. What experience do you add that, that you think will get them through the series they just lost? Like what, what experience is out there? You bring Justin Williams in, well, and you can say Leafs at, in if six. You're, if you're doing that, then you're looking at getting much older. You're looking at picking up some veterans in their 30s or guys that are like have such a low cap hit, but aren't you know aren't a, a flashy player like they have. But I mean, like I said on previous podcasts, they're not at the point where they're ready to just go all in. Why? Just dump these Why are they ready? So what do you mean think, by all in? Like like to just sell the farm in terms of adding like veteran guys at the deadline giving up prospects well they can't they don't have cap space now yeah well yeah there's a couple things wrong with them one they're they have no cap because if like you said they've tossed all this money they've gone all in on these young guys right and will be this summer when they sign marner and two they don't want to give up prospects they they they're they're in this whole development phase where they they want to develop their entire Marley's team. They want to keep developing these young guys that are within the system, and they're not they're not going to give up on them. Like there's all this talk about potentially um, moving some younger guys at the deadline, like Connor Brown is thrown out there. Um, I'm sure Nylander is thrown out there. I just I don't think Dubis saw any sort of immediate return that was big enough to. Just to, to, just to get rid of these guys. For sure. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I see on their team, like obviously I see them as a young team, but I think they have enough experience to win a series against the Boston Bruins. Would, would you agree with that? Like going back to what my point well, just, earlier, like Riley's an, expe- yeah. like an experienced 24-year-old defenseman. Jake Gardner, we have our opinions about him. <laughs> He's an experienced NHL player. Right, Marlowe, an experienced NHL player. This is Matthews' third year. I know he's a young guy, his third year in the league. Yeah, third right? time in the Tavares. Playoffs. How long has Tavares been in the league? Mm-hmm. Right? Eight eight or nine years? That's experience. How much like I, I think that's a cheap excuse, the lack of experience. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little critical. I think it's a little bit of a cheap excuse. For their for their lack of for their failure this year. I'm gonna well, say if anything, failure they, they, this year. The guys on their team haven't learned. From last year, look at the two guys. If you could argue, look at the two guys that arguably cost them Game Seven: Jake Gardner and Freddie Anderson. Mm-hmm. Both guys that were there last year. Both guys have been in the playoffs many years. Gardner's been there since friggin' 2013. Yeah. And the two guys, one's your longest, one your longest tenured Leafs. Yeah. And another guy is supposed to be your superstar goalie that's carried you the whole year, and have been in multiple playoff series and with Anaheim. Yeah. Those two guys lost them the game in the series. Mm-hmm. So it's either a, a lack of focus or inexperience in the playoffs, or it's just they're just not good enough to get it done. That's a scary thought, and we'll talk about that in a second. But obviously, would you agree this was a failed Toronto Maple Leaf season? 100%. Right? This was a season where, I mean, you just signed John Taveras last yep. year. You had to win a round this year. Yep. I don't care what the playoff format is. I don't care if people complaining about the the playoff format. It is what it is. You got to beat these teams eventually. Yeah. They on paper you're a better team than the Boston Bruins. You're a deeper team than the Boston Bruins. Unfortunately, they didn't get the chance to show how deep they were at center with the the Naz the Nazim Kadri uh, suspension. But everyone share everyone shares the blame here for this failure. Oh, it's not. Uh, you, you can't just put it on one thing or another. Their their whole team and Dubis even mentioned it from top top of the franchise to the bottom. Their whole franchise is to blame for this loss. 
But I think there's a certain percentage that we can allocate to each individual or individuals that share most of the blame. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's sure. kind of how what I want to do right now. I want to break it down. Mm-hmm. All right. So stay, let, let's stay on the players first okay. since we're already here. Okay. All right. Um, you look at the core of this Maple Leafs team. Austin Matthews, incredible series. Their best player in this series. Yeah, he's a stud. Stud. Five goals. I thought that second period in game, in game seven, he was at the forefront of that. I thought he had, besides maybe game two, he was totally visible, which was the complete opposite to how he played the last month of the season. So Austin Matthews, he turned it on when he needed to. He did his job. Unfortunately, though, like there was no production, no consistent production anywhere else. You look at John Tavares and Mitch Marner, and this is where I also give some kudos to the Boston Bruins because they shut down Mitch Marner very, very well and effectively after that, after his game one performance. But what did they do on the score sheet? And and we can talk about, you know, yeah, the fact that Tavares is good in the faceoffs. That's great. We can talk about Mitch Marner blocking shots. Though they played well defensively. And defensively, defensively, they played great. 100%. They're awesome. But do you not agree that we need a little more production from them? Yeah. You need balanced scoring from all of your lines if you want to win a cup. Yeah. Can't just, you can't just have a line. You can't, you can't have one line producing and expect to win the cup. doesn't yeah. happen. So I, like, I don't want to put too much blame on them, but I'm just my point is from your core players who you're paying big bucks to, you need more than one empty net goal. Well, he got a goal in Game 7. Um, that's John Tavares. And you need more than Mitch Marner's two-goal performance in the first game. You just do like I, you just you need more production than that, especially on the power play, yeah. where they had some opportunities to get uh, to get a few goals and they didn't. But obviously, some production needs to come from them. Andreas Janssen, besides that game three, um, production-wise, you know it just wasn't there. And then the, th- the third line. I don't know. To me, that was one of the most ineffective third lines in a playoff series. I'm actually really shocked at at how badly they played. Yeah, like we were, t- we were had so much praise even last year for Patrick Marlowe. and I was just I was stunned at how far off the, the wagon he fell off in the in this playoff series. Incredible, incredible. Does Naz Naz's suspension play a role in that? Yeah, and, and that, that brings me to the last person is, is who shares a lot of this blame is Nazem Kadri. you agree with that? I think he, he's part of the blame because his, his suspension led to the Leafs' inability to be flexible with their lines. I feel like, like if you would have had Naz down the middle... Do you feel more comfortable being able to switch up the lines and re- be able to rely on those guys still? I, I think that really did play a part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Production-wise, I mean, we can't say because he didn't play. So oh, We just have the one game to go off of. Yeah. Actually, no, we have two games to go off of. He got a goal in the second game. In game one, he had that incredible stretch pass to Nylander. Yeah. yeah, you can argue that if he was in the lineup... In two games, he was pretty productive, yeah. Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Besides being an idiot mm-hmm. and, and cross-checking uh, DeBrusque in the face, he had two productive games. Yeah, 
He's arguably one of their most dominant players. And he was that he was part of that X factor that we yeah. talked about, or X factors, him and Nylander that we talked about before the series. Yeah. So you're there's there's one thing I maybe I kind of disagree with what you said, but I agree about the depth down the middle. Yeah, for sure. Now the flexibility of moving people up and down the lineup, I think that falls on Blank Babcock. But it you're right. Didn't help. You're right. It didn't you're make right. his decision any easier. Yeah, it, that's right. I think you're right about that, but he, you know, Naz got suspended after no, game two. He got the suspension. So game three, four, five, six, seven. You got to think Babcock as a coach has to say, okay, I, I don't have Naz for the foreseeable future. Let's let, let me play around with my line combinations a little bit. I think for sure. But once that suspension hit, I think that third and fourth line should have been completely. Uh, completely mixed up. Yeah, or, or or keep it as it is, but 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 make some adjustments in the game up and down the lineup. Mm. Okay, so the, the let's stop at the players there because I think the way we're treading is towards who I think and maybe you do too deserves a lot of the blame. That's Mike Babcock. But you're still not mentioning a few players who I think shoulder a lot of blame, especially okay. for Game Seven. Okay. Number one is Freddie Anderson. Okay. Who, I, you know, I hate to but, throw him under the bus. Yeah, but you like, but look at his work in the playoffs. I though. know, but at the end of the day, when you're in a pressure situation, like a game seven elimination game, your goaltender has to be one of the best players on your team. Mm-hmm. If Especially a team that has, has had a shaky defense all year. Your goaltender has to be a star. Look at the teams that are left, and look at the teams that are getting carried into the playoffs right now. Carolina is having stud goaltending right now from yeah. Mrazek. Uh, Robin Leonard standing on his head all year for the Islanders has been solid as a rock back there. Rask has is been good. Bobrovsky is one of the best goalies in the league still. Bishop, yeah. Um, Martin Jones, like. Your goaltender has to be one of the best players on your team for you to win a cup. And when it mattered the most and when the Leafs relied on him the most and it happened last year, Freddie Anderson let them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it sucks to say because he's stood on his head. He's stood on his head for them all year. And that, that's why I'm so hesitant to, to, sh- to put any blame on but, Anderson. But at the end of the day, I blame him for those game, that Game 7 loss. Yeah, I... Those goals, the first those goal goals that can't happen. You yeah. can't let in a dud goal like but, that. But this team lives and dies by Freddie Anderson. Yeah. Like they wouldn't be in the position they were today. Yeah. In, Which is why it kills me to say that, but I, I, I have know. to see what I say. And who are the others before we Jake get to Jake Gardner. Yeah. Minus eight and two game sevens. Unbelievable. He's gone. He's got he better be gone this year. Well he is. The total he's, he's a free agent, right? I don't I, I don't see in any world where they can possibly bring Jake Gardner back. And I'm not even talking about this performance. It's just the amount of money he's yeah. going gonna to want to get from the Leafs. I, I think they. I think the time is now just to move on from him. I, th- I think they just – I wouldn't even – well, they're going to obviously might negotiate or even offer him less. But the, and that, honestly, that, they need to move that on That back him. doesn't look good either. Yeah, he's had problems. He's had injury problems. He's been fighting back problems for a couple of years. Um, but it's no excuse. His his play in the ice is is he's just let his team down. I don't care. 
I don't care what the players think of him. Guy, he sounds like a great guy, stand-up guy. The the team loves him. You can tell. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're paid to, for your play in the ice, and he has consistently let these guys down. I year. I think I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass for this year anyway. But how many years are we going to give him a pass well, for? It, but, but it's mainly because of the injuries. You can tell he was not shouldn't, anywhere close shouldn't to be playing. But is okay. He shouldn't be playing. But who else are you going to throw out there? Callie Rosen, who's played what ten NHL yeah. games? Like you're going up against an experienced hockey club. It's it, it's it's kind of sad when the Leafs have to revert this. And this speaks to their lack of depth on defense, if anything. It's pretty sad when you got to rely on Jake Gardner, who's not even 100%. I don't even know if he was 80% uh, the way he looked no, out they there. Haven't, they haven't said much. They haven't said much about it. But it's pretty sad when you got to send a guy out there to play some decent minutes against uh, a really good hockey team. And, and a physical hockey mm-hmm. team, too. A team that takes the body and finishes their checks. So... I don't know how much blame I, I center on Gardner, but you can't argue with the fact that he's been, you know, he's been the whipping boy in Toronto for a while now for, for good reason, uh, you know, with his irresponsible play at times and his lack of performances in that big moment. But I, I think, I don't think we have to worry about him anymore. I think it's, I think the Jake Gardner era is done and, you know, he's going to, he's going to walk as a free agent. And for me, it's, he's not someone the Leafs should bring back. Because we can't even rely, like, who knows what his health has in store for him, right? We, we don't know how that back's going to hold up. Well, I so. think if with their cap situation, I think it, there's no way you can offer him not even, I wouldn't even give him half of what he's making now. Yeah. <laughs> which which he would never take. Yeah. I mean, if he gets an offer even close to what he's making now, he'll take it. But mm-hmm. with their yeah. cap situation, I, I wouldn't even, I bet they wouldn't even be able to give him half of what he makes now. Interesting player, Jake Gardner, because I think he does have some strong aspects to his game. And I think he could be valuable somewhere else. I think he could be even valuable on Toronto. You just, for what he's getting paid, I don't think he's reliable. And I think you have to pair him with someone who is reliable. But I think the way he's paired on Toronto is that he's always paired with someone who's not reliable. So you have two unreliable defensemen, defensemen, um, who you can't count on to shut down other teams' forwards or another team's uh, attack. He he would be good if he was like a, a last pairing. If he was on See, a last I, pairing, I would, I would say a, I would be perfectly happy. But I would even say not a top six defenseman. I would let's say you paired him with with uh, with Morgan Riley, which would never happen because you got to balance out the defensive pairings. If you paired him with Morgan Riley, he'd probably be pretty decent because Riley. I, I they think tried Ry- that, didn't they? They tried that. Well, Riley likes to pinch, so maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe they I'm both using. Do. A, yeah, they both do. So maybe I'm using a bad example. I think my what my point is is if you pair Jake Gardner with um, a decent stay-at-home defenseman, maybe like a 25-year-old Hainsey, he'd probably be pretty decent. But there's no arguing that he's made some bonehead plays over the years. Enough for us Lee fans to say, "All right, Jake, you know." Thank you for your time here, yeah. but we're, we're really comfortable to move on from you. Well, you would have hoped that, you know, he would have gotten that game seven out of him last year. Yeah. But he just came in and that, just laid it out again. That one in last year, 2018, was on another yeah. level than, yeah. than what we saw last week, yeah. I think. That, but like, that one all... mistake 
that one mistake that cost, them. cost them. Cost them 2-0. It was a, just a horrendous turnover. Just a bone. I don't even know what he was thinking. And you could even see it in Austin Matthews, too, when he came across the ice. He had a simple pass to Matthews. I know, I know he was in front of the net, but there was no one around him. And then he just dumps the puck behind him, just a no-look pass behind him, just dumps it, and then... Yeah. In. So I asked you and Brian last week, and, and you guys had an interesting response, so I'll ask you again. Did Mike Babcock get outcoached? Um, I'll say it. I think I said it last week. He is uh, outcoaching himself. You're sticking with that. I'm sticking with that. I think he got completely outcoached yeah. in this series. But outcoaching yourself means you got outcoached. That's the thing. Regardless, that's what I'm. I was I don't think. Say. I don't think. I don't think Cassidy did anything extraordinary. He, he didn't do anything extraordinary. To outcoach him, uh, it, and that's it. He just allowed Babs to one outcoach himself, and one and two make very simple adjustments that ended up winning them the series. But that's what's so fascinating about yeah, this. Kill, it is that Cassidy me. did nothing extraordinary, yeah. and Babcock still didn't counter with anything. Yeah. yeah, that's what really sticks out to me. Okay, so if we want to talk about blame, you know, we're talking about we we just discussed the players and some of the blame they might share. If we're going to fact this out of a total of 100%, I'm going to go 40% players. I'm going to go 60% Mike Babcock. 60%. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of layers to this. One, adjustments. Now, you're, you might ask me, okay, what's he supposed to do? And what's, what's Mike Babcock supposed to do? He lost Nazem Kadri in, in the second game of the series. What's he supposed to do? That third line was so ineffective that it, I almost felt like the Leafs were rolling two. There's only two lines you could rely on scoring. That's how I felt without Naz. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna get any goal. Like Marlowe's 100 years old. All right, Nylander is not a centerman. He's barely a winger. Like I don't know what need William Nylander is right now. Not sure. I don't think I'm, I don't know what Neilander is right now. I'm so sick of talking about the guy. I don't know what Neilander is right now. Connor Brown can't even shoot if he had an f- open four by six. That third line was so ineffective. Something had to be done with that third line. And, I, and if we're going to talk adjustments, I don't know if it was moving more up, moving Marlowe down. But the fact of the matter is that line was getting 18, 17, 18 minutes a night. Well, if and it, it wasn't working. If anything, that third line shouldn't even have played the third period. You want to roll. You want to talk about making adjustments. Roll three lines. That that fourth line was great. I thought they played very well. Obviously, the Matthews line was rolling because he was on fire. You want to get the Tavares line going. Maybe you make an adjustment and start playing them. Drop them down to like a second line or a third line. Just sort of throw them off. But. If you're going to make any adjustment, if your third line is that ineffective, they shouldn't be seeing the ice no. in the third period. And you're, that's the problem. down in it, game it, seven. He was rolling them out and the fourth line yeah. out. And I, and I know in game seven, um, okay, great, the fourth line was playing amazing. You can agree with that, right? They had a yeah, great game. Great, awesome. You ain't scoring a goal with Freddie Goche playing center. No. Okay? How did they score a goal? How did the Toronto Maple Leafs score a goal that game? Ennis turned the puck over. Who was the center? 
John Tavares. John Tavares. I don't know if that was a fact. Uh, that was a, it was a line change. It was a line change. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a an adjustment. Doesn't he, he the light bulb the come on? Like, don't does a light bulb come on? Mike Babcock. Hey, maybe I'll put John Tavares on a line with Tyler Ennis and Trevor Moore. Maybe I'll throw. Something. Maybe I'll throw Austin Matthews between those two. Trevor Moore and Tyler Ennis are having a good hockey yeah. game. They're not going to score with with Freddie Goche. Freddie Goche is not the goat as they refer to him on it's TSN. A, it's an ironic. It's an ironic yeah, goat. He is like he's a big body who doesn't hit, he doesn't score. I don't know what he does. Freddie Goche is not the answer when you're down 2-1, 3-1 in a hockey game. Roll John Tavares on that line. We're, that that's Mike Babcock. That's they, stubbornness. They should have Matthews and Marner playing together. There's another adjustment. That's that's, that's so, the one. So why why can you sit here? I have no idea. As someone who has not has zero coaching experience in the no. NHL, me with zero ex- coaching, I haven't even played hockey. I know a lot about hockey. I talk about hockey. I watch a lot of hockey. You've played. Why can we sit here and say, yeah, maybe you know, throw on yeah. Marner and Matthews for a shift? I didn't see that. These are these are called adjustments. Mm-hmm. Why don't we see adjustments from Mike Babcock? Because there was also moments, yeah, where. Bruce Cassidy would throw his fourth line on. What do we respond with? Our fourth line centered by Freddie Gauthier. Why not respond with our fourth line, or maybe our first line? That'd be my four. I'd, I'd go first. But why not our our fourth line centered by John Tavares? Like, so why doesn't he adjust? Why didn't he adjust in this series? I don't know. Maybe he just he's so ingrained in playing this this matchup game. Maybe he, he maybe he was. Maybe he was insecure. Or he was scared to go or put another lineup against the Marshawn line. I just I don't think either he didn't have enough trust in his players to get away from that matchup that he liked, or he was just so stubborn and put in his ways that he no matter what he was sticking to his game plan. I don't know. We'll never know. Only Mike Babcock knows, or maybe his coaches or whoever the hell else is in that dressing room. Dubas probably know because I'm sure he's given him hell for it. But I just I don't have an answer. One of the best things I heard on uh, TSN this past week, and I, I couldn't agree with it more, just by my observations of of Mike Babcock, was that, and, and I can't remember who the reporter was. It wasn't Bruce Arthur. It was um, who's the other guy? Oh my goodness! Anyway, if I remember him, I'll, I'll mention it. He said that Mike Babcock, and this was his kind of hot take, this was his take, Mike Babcock would rather win his way, and Mike Babcock way is rolling four lines, than win by using the suggestions of someone else, whether that's the assistant coaches, whether that's the media, whether that's the fans. Mike Babcock would rather win his way to the point where he would pretty much accept losing even if it so so basically he'd rather win his way it's winning his way or winning no way it's his way or the highway it's stubbornness and i found that as a really interesting take and to be honest that's exactly how i saw it because some of the things we saw in this series i was making some calls on adjustments Last week, I sat here and I said, where should Austin Matthews play on the power play? 
the right-hand side. Where was he lined up on the power play in Game 7? The right-hand side. It took you seven games, six games, seven games to figure out Austin Matthews. Hey, man, maybe you should. Maybe he should go on the right-hand side. Throw some one-timers at the net mm-hmm. because he's got half his goals in the series from the right-hand side. I don't know. I, I'm just, like, I, I really believe that he's so stubborn that he only wants to win his way. And that concerns me going forward. That concerns me going into next year because how much, how much can he really change? Well, we're going to... F- we're going to have to find out if he's going to change. Maybe he's going to take a long look in the mirror and say, you know what, maybe I need to change as a coach. And that's that's what we hope. You can only hope that he's not stuck in his ways. It doesn't seem like it. but um, He's you know, totally he's, stuck in his he's ways. He's going to have to, or he might even find himself in the hot seat next year. We talked about it a couple uh, podcasts ago about Mike Babcock facing pressure. I think this is going to be a make-or-break year for them. I, I think if this continues and he doesn't take a step back and really reassess uh, himself as a coach, then he, he might end up being he might end up finding himself getting fired next year. Depending on if it's, this continues and they still he's still not getting the best of his players and he's still not making correct adjustments and he's making poor decisions, he might be out. It's really quiet right now since Kyle Dubas, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Talked and, and basically accepted all the blame mm-hmm. for what had uh, conspired and, and the Leafs' failure this year. But he never really gave Mike Babcock a green light for next year. He never gave him, he said, okay, yeah, Mike's going to be our coach. He never said any of that. He said, wait, kind of what you said, we're going to evaluate everything, mm-hmm. starting with. Well, he said that, that his evaluation would be first from Shanahan. And Dubas is fine. Dubas oh, is not yeah. going anywhere. No, he's not going. He's a hand pick, not hand picked, but he's a product of Brandon Shanahan. It's only Dubas his, isn't it's going. Only his first, year. first year as GM. The guy saw in John Tavares. He's good for like yeah. three, four years. Yeah, he's good. Okay, he's not, he's not going anywhere. Now, I don't know. Mike Babcock is a coach who got a lot of his money up front. So he was signed a what eight year, fifty million dollar deal. Say eight years, fifty. Eight years, fifty. Seven or eight. Seven. Yeah. He's a coach that got a lot of his money up front. He's not going to be afraid to tell Kyle Dubas where to go if Kyle Dubas doesn't like his coaching style. And I, I don't know. like I, I see a young guy in Kyle Dubas who has one way he thinks a team should be built. And I see a guy stubborn and set in his own ways, Mike Babcock, who has opinions on how a hockey team should be constructed and the type of personnel he wants on the team. And I, I don't feel like – I feel like those views, those opinions are colliding a little bit. Well, I never thought – And I don't think yeah. Mike, Babcock is, Mike Babcock is capable of changing. How yeah. can you change a guy who's been around the league yeah. – I don't know how many years he's, – he's a veteran around the NHL. I didn't think of it – at first, but now that you, you now that you know seasons have gone by and he, he's taken the reins, you, you sort of really realize that there there is a clash of generations. You sort of got like Mike Babcock, who's like baby boomer, you know, hard nosed coach, like old old style hockey, and then you have Dubis, who's like millennial. It's the smart. He's, nerd. he's a millennial. Yeah, you can say it all. He's a smart nerd. He's the youngest GM. 
analytics guy. Literally in his early 30s. He's an analytics guy. He's he's he's, he's coming in with this new wave of NHL. We have these young players, and it's heavily analytics-driven rather than sort of experience or like logic, logic, and saying quotations. Um, so I don't think... Babcock has really adjusted to Dubas's sort of style of the way he wants to manage his teams. I don't really think Babcock truly believes in the analytics side of hockey. He doesn't. I clearly see and, and, and I don't good. mind that because I don't and think it's all analytics. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't always be. It analytics. has to be a good balance because uh, analytics aren't a tell-all, and they and they're you know there are times where it, it doesn't show the true picture of things but successful teams have to have gms and coaches yes. that see eye to eye you ha- you have to see eye to eye and you have to both believe in each other that you can you can do this and like that you can actually build a winning team and right now it hasn't started off that way well so it, something it, it got off happen. to a bad start the very beginning of this season yeah. with dubis waving curtis McElhaney. yeah curtis McElhaney was a babcock guy I thought that was a bad decision. I thought it was a bad decision too. But at the end of the day, Curtis McElhinney is not going to win the Stanley Cup for Toronto. He's a backup. He's a backup goalie. So if it's we we win or die by Freddie Anderson, Mm -hmm. okay. So whatever. But you look at you know there's been yeah there's talks there's been talks about rifts between and I don't know how much validity there is to it, but I think there's some. If we're talking about it. And we're hearing these little whispers that there's, that there's, uh, you know, there's a disconnect between Dubis and, and Mike Babcock. There's got to be some truth to it, and I think there is because look at all this these hidden messages that Babcock has been saying to the media this year, right? He's been saying, "Oh, we're not deep enough. We need this. We need that. We need a right-handed shot defenseman." Who's Bab? Who does Dubis go to get? A left-handed shot in Muzzin. You know who I think is who I think sorry is a good addition or was a good addition, but wasn't the right-handed defenseman that Babcock wanted. It's been back and forth all year between these guys. Mm-hmm. Dubis is not, or Babcock is not a Dubis hire. So how can Babcock sit there and change for next year? Like I just, I don't see how a guy with that much experience at Babcock can change for a new young general manager who's thirty, what thirty three. I just don't think like you work in a professional environment. I work in a professional environment. Imagine me going to tell. A 56-year-old who's two years away from retirement, hey, you should do things this way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a tough ask. It is a tough ask. But in that environment, that's the. I feel like that's the only way that's going to work. Yeah. Or else... It's you're not going to get anywhere with this team, and he'll end up and he'll end up getting fired. So what I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, right now there's no guarantee that Mike Babcock is back. But do you think he should be back? I, I, I absolutely think he should be back. I mean, you take a look at again his body of work with this young team. I mean, I also think that part of this is on Dubas as well because they still have to build this roster to be. A cup contending team. I still think there's a lot of holes that they need to fill, um, and I think he—I know I'm making crap for saying this—but I think he did get a good body of work from this team this year. Yeah. Aside from the few mistakes that did cost them um, this series and the season, um, so I feel like he hasn't done—he hasn't done an, enough to get himself fired. So there's a lot of positives that you got to see from this season, and there's a lot to build on going into next year. 
Um, and I, I still believe that, yeah, he should still definitely be the coach of this team. But I still think he, he, he will definitely be on the hot seat this year. For those that, that watched Tim and Sid, I think uh, Sid Zero tweeted out after last week's loss, Mike Babcock just coached his last game as a member of the Maple Leafs. Yeah. I, don't, I don't agree with that. Sid, Sid likes to troll. He, he, loves he, lo- he loves throwing out comments. He, he's been he was doing it all series. He does it every night. He's you know he's a member of the media. He lo- he has to throw some shade in order to get likes and views on his side. So I mean that's a very bold statement by him. Um, I think but I think, he, I think lot, he was yeah. really trying to trigger the heated Leaf fans because yeah. he knew how pissed everyone was after that game and what better thing to say than to say yep that's it he's done i also just think to trigger everyone and get him going i was fired up too i thought i yeah, thought that whole night he was gone now that we have it we've had a week to kind of take so it in letting your emotions get to you I, I i still think that babcock was a major reason why for sure they lost the series yeah, i think so you know because there there was i'm not going to get into it again but there there were adjustments there people might ask what adjustments just if you watch the Leafs for 82 games a year, you know what adjustments could have been made. That Even if you just watch the series and you know a little bit about these players, you know what adjustments he could have made. Babcock, for me, he'll help be the coach next year. Mike Babcock is a good NHL coach. This was my take after the Leaf game last, last week. I don't know if you saw it on my, uh, on my Twitter. Did you get a chance to look at it? There's a few things that you... you did I say a few things? Oh, yeah. Um, well, one thing I said was regarding Mike Babcock. And I said, Mike Babcock is not the best coach in the world. He never was. There's a difference between being a good coach and a great coach that gets the best out of his players. I think Mike Babcock is a good coach. Now you look at his body of work. Detroit won a cup. That's a, that's a team built by Scotty Bowman. Yeah. I t- I've talked to Red Wings fans. He hasn't come close since then. But I've talked to Red Wings fans, mm. some Red Wings fans. They weren't a fan of his coaching style. And I'm just talking about buddies from work. I'm talking about like friends that we have. Some of them didn't like Mike Babcock's coaching style. I thought it was very too systematic, too predictable. And I think those are two words you can yeah. you yeah. can translate to Toronto this year. For power play, predictable. Five on five, very systematic. For the amount of creative players they have, they didn't really. There's a lot. There's large parts of this season where they didn't showcase create their creativity. Besides Mitch Marner, who's just mm-hmm. you know incredible. But there was a large part of the season where this this um, this creativity wasn't being showcased. And he won only one cup with the Red Wings. That's a, that was a great team. Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, these are legendary players. One cup. And then people point hit, you know, to Team Canada. And I've said it on this podcast before. There's a lot of coaches who could have coached that, that team to gold. I could have coached them. And, and I've said that I too. Coached that team of to course. Gold of course. <laughs> but there's a lot of other coaches who could have coached yeah. that team. Right? You look at coaches who are getting the best of the, out of their team. Look at Carolina. Rod Brindamore. Getting the best, the absolute best out of his Carolina team. Torts. Look at yeah, Torts. John Tortorella. 
getting the best out of his team. Now, John Tortorella has had, has had his downs as a coach yeah. too, but he is like yeah, he, he knows this year. he knows how to f- yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the fine line in hockey and in sports is you're like a win loss away from getting. Mike Babcock wins Game Seven. He's a genius, amazing coach. Ten year extension after the eight years, but no. We're looking at it from a different perspective because I think, for the most part, this is not the Leaf season that they were supposed to have. This was supposed to be a dominant season where they're supposed to have home ice and win a first-round playoff series. And so I think there's a lot there to criticize Mike Babcock for, right? And there's a lot of coaches in the NHL who are getting the best out of their players, something that Mike Babcock hasn't been able to do this year. All right, and and look at Barry Trotz. Incredible year. Look at what he's getting the most out of his Islanders players. Look at Craig Berube in St. Louis. He's getting everything out of that group who had a rough start to the first first half of the season. Mike Babcock is a good coach. He's just not as good as everyone think he thinks he is. And you know we we can define you know what's what's a great coach. I mean, I think a good coach gets you to the playoffs. I think a great coach gets you deep into the playoffs. I don't know. That, that's, my, that's my assessment. I don't know how much you agree on that. I agree with it 100%. So. I feel like um, I don't know if – and you kind of touched on it too. Like I don't know if his, his philosophy or whatnot – I don't know if it's just getting stale with this team because he said lack of adjustments – uh, lack of change and you know the team is they, they look like they're just not responding to him like if you even see it like there's no there's no fire in these guys like even you see a lot of these teams that are in the playoffs still and like you watch the games these guys are hungry yeah. to win and have success and then you look at the Leafs they're down in game 7 they look they just look stunned they just look yeah. like they, there's no drive. There's no hunger in these guys whatsoever. They, they're so unmotiv- unmotivated to win that game. And you could see it. You see it throughout well, the series at but, times, but they, too. But there was parts where they were motivated. I just think, as a whole, where's the motivation to close out the series? Yeah. Where's the motivation to step on the on the Bruins' throats, go up 3-1, close the series at home? Where's that? Mm-hmm. That's that's the killer instinct yeah. I said the Leafs did not have. No. And, if, and, then, and then you watch teams like Carolina. And you know me, I was critical of those bunch of jerks all year, and you and you love what they were doing with the celebrations. Oh, it's working. I was critical. Yeah, you might be honest it's on it. Maybe worked. it was working. It what I loved about Carolina is I watched that game seven against Washington. Holy man, they they were determined. They're down three yeah. one. There's no quitting them, no fighting them. They controlled the whole overtime series. They gave for me a lot of respect for Carolina. Oh, they com- they completely outplayed Washington. And, and, completely and, outplayed them. But look, with, look at the odds that were stacked against them. 3-1 down in the series to the Stanley Cup champs. 3-1 down in the game. And I just I think it goes back to um, just having that hunger by teams from teams that are had, had to fight and claw their way into the playoffs. I think the Leafs were so unmotivated because they were in the playoffs the whole year. They had nothing to work towards and nothing to fight towards because they had success early. But this playoff series, they did have something to work towards. They did, and they didn't they didn't get there. It fell flat. So do I think Babcock is going to be the coach next year? Absolutely. I I, I think to build championship teams, you got to be a little patient. 
And I think that's what this week and really taking the, the loss in, you know, as someone who supports the Leafs, but at the same time is critical of them. I think that's what I've taken away from this is that we, we, we do got to stay a little patient. But I will say this. If the Leafs don't win a round next year, Mike Babcock's gone. You agree? I agree. Yeah. Well, you look at, and I know we're kind of stretching this Babcock talk a lot, but you look at. I think it's merit. What, Sheld- what Sheldon Keefe is, is doing with his Marley's team, and you, you even saw the media tweeting about it, like all these, they're talking, boosting about all these adjustments he's making in game. And I know, you're, you know, it's the Marley's and it's the AHL. It's, it's nothing compared to the NHL, but um, Sheldon Keefe is, is a Dubas guy. Mm-hmm. And Dubas loves him. He's analytics focused. He, he, he knows how to motivate a young team, and he's all about development of these young players. And you can bet your ass that Sheldon Keefe is going to be on Mike's Bab- Babcock's ass to take over this year. Well, how about as an assistant coach? Because I don't think it's, I don't think I, it, I don't think he should step into an NHL uh, head coaching role right off the bat. I don't think it would work because I think that they would they would end up butting heads a lot. I think there would be conflict between both of them. Because that move would be a direct move by Dubas to put pressure on Babcock. Yeah. So I don't think that's going to work out. you got two guys that are head coaches. One guy could be a, a replacement if something were to happen. Um, and, you know, I just don't think it would be a good move to throw that pressure on him right away. Yeah, fair. I think he should stay in the AHL, continue to continue to develop himself as a coach, continue to develop the prospects and, and turn them into good players and leave in waiting. Um and I think if you're going to make a coaching change, it should just be a, a clean firing and hiring. You shouldn't just, you know, put pressure on Babcocks. Then, then this thing will just blow up. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a very interesting offseason. It's kind of sad because we won't be able to talk as much Leafs, but we will. We'll still be talking Leafs in this show. Um, where to next? Well, we'll see what happens. You know... What, one last thing I want to say about Babcock, and this is the last thing I swear. There's a lot to say about Mike Babcock. I really think it's warranted. The last thing I'm going to say, I didn't like his lack of accountability for how things went in those exit meetings. Bab, uh, Dubis took a lot of the blame. Not one time did Babcock say, I could have done this, I should have done this better. Stubborn, my pet peeve. We'll see where it goes from here. I think Babcock will be back next year, but I think next year is the first time you'll see Babcock on a real hot seat if things don't go the way the Maple Leafs want. We're not going to get into this now, but obviously the focus, as you know, as we talk about the Leafs, it, a lot of it's going to be contract act, a, a contract talk. You know, the Leafs are out when you turn on the radio in the morning and they're talking Mitch Marner contract. Right, so that, that'll be something we'll focus on in this podcast. You know, obviously the guy's going to get paid. So we'll, we'll talk more contracts, you know, as, as we continue with our podcast. But as, as far as Leafs go, we'll, we'll, we'll tie a bow on it there. Uh, but an unfortunate ending to, you know, what was supposed to be a better season than what was, uh, you know, than, than what we saw. And it's unfortunate because the road to the finals has never looked easier. No disrespect to any of the other teams, but like Tampa's out, 
the defending cup champions are out, the night the Vegas Golden Knights are out, the Jets are out, the Calgary Flames. It has never looked brighter, and Toronto couldn't capitalize on that. So, do you want to talk about a few more of the NHL series? I think it's yeah. I just yeah. I this is the first time in a long time where I've actually watched the NHL playoffs, and I've said I have no idea who's going to win the cup this year. How many? No idea. So we we made our predict our predictions live on air, not live, but on air. Shared it with our listeners. How many series did you get right? Two. You got two series right. The Boston series, and I picked San Jose. Right. I also got two. I picked St. Louis. That was my you know I picked St. Louis, and Boston. So both of us got the Boston Leafs series correct. We actually went against our, our hometown Leafs. But this has been an unpredictable playoffs. You said San Jose. You picked San Jose. What a game that game seven was between Vegas and San Jose. Wild. I Wild. wish I stayed up for it. I, did, I, I crashed on the couch for that one. Yeah. I, not that the game was putting me to sleep. I was just so tired. You know, adulting does that to you, you know? Yeah. Hashtag work. Hashtag work. But what a game. Let's let's finish up our NHL talk with with that game seven call that you know turned that game around. Um, everyone saw the it was like a cross check on Pavelski hit, hit his head on the ice. Who was given? Was it Eakin? Cody Eakin was given a five and a game and a game, and then it was three one. Was it three one San Jose? It was a four one? No three one San Jose. Given three, a three, three one Vegas. Oh, f- Threw in Vegas, sorry. Was it 4-1? I can't even remember. But Vegas was up. San Jose given that five-minute power play that wasn't a power play. And, you know, they, they, they score three goals. Or was it four goals? Like four goals in that five-minute power play. Unbelievable. Oh, it was three no- they're up 3 nothing. That's it. Because I know it was a three-goal deficit. Four goals. Man, if the Leafs were given that power play and they were down three nothing, they would have scored zero. So I, I, there was a lot of talk about oh, you know, San Jose was given that game. Vegas got you know, Vegas got cheated out of a victory. You still got to score four goals on the power play. It's not easy to do. Yeah, you can't you can't give up three shorthanded. No, that's that's terrible. No, they didn't give up any shorthanded the goals. They scored in the power play. Sorry, I mean three on the power three play. on the power. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's you still got to score those goals though. That's tough. That's not always a easy ask. Four goals in a five minute power play. So I mean, although it was, although it wasn't a penalty. I don't think I was going to say to start. Do you think that that was that would? Do you think it was a penalty? And do you think it should have been five if you did? I don't think it was a penalty at all. No. And that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it wasn't a penalty. But San Jose still has to score four goals. Like it's, it, we talked about the Leafs penalty kill being bad. Mm-hmm. Come on, Vegas let in four in five minutes, right? You, and San Jose still, they, you still have the skill enough, and in the drive, and um, you know the determination to, to get those goals. Four goals in five minutes—that's a tough ask. In the NHL, it's a tough ask against Marc Andre Fleury. But no, I, did you think it was a penalty? No. No. 
wasn't it wasn't even, it wasn't even two. I don't even think it was two. No, it wasn't two. Because when when I woke up the next day and I saw it was a bad cross check to Pavelski and he was knocked out. Like I went back and looked at the replay and it's not like completely night and day compared to Kadri's cross check. Like Kadri actually came in and actually stuck his arm out and literally cross checked the guy right in the neck. Yeah. It was a really weird play because it was off the face off and he kind of like drove his hands like into Pavelski's chest, it just happened to ca- stick. Just happened to catch him in the neck and the throat, and he fell awkwardly. And then he, like, he hit his head in the ground pretty hard, and that's what knocked him out. It wasn't the cross check or wasn't anything. It, he didn't really look that hurt until he actually hit the ground and was knocked out. So like it was a really weird in the way that they called it a cross check because I don't even think he, he intended to hit him like with the stick across the chest. Yeah. I think he just sort of tried to stick his hands out and that sort happens of, sort of hit him, but it wasn't. Himself. Uh, to me, no. There's no way that that's that's a cross check. No way that's a five in the game. Yeah, yeah. No, they they got robbed in that one. They they did, and but hey, you know what? I don't feel sorry for Vegas. Vegas has, has encountered zero adversity <laughs> since entering the NHL. Waiting how long? It's 15 years for the Leafs to win a round. They come in as an expansion team last year and go to the Cup final. So I feel no sympathy for them. This was their introduction to the league. Welcome to the NHL, Vegas. But like I said, San Jose still has to have the skill to score four yeah. goals in five yeah. minutes. That's an incredible accomplishment. I don't think it's ever happened. Toronto wouldn't have done that. No. If Toronto was given a five-minute penalty or power play, sorry, in game seven, they, they would have one shot on net. and, and, and that's Make a it. shorty on them. Yeah, they would be a shorty. Yeah, Boston <laughs> would have scored a shorty. Um, okay, we're going to wrap up hockey talk. We are currently, me and Drew are podcasting right now, uh, watching the Toronto Raptors. This, I mean, Toronto has switched focus to basketball. We're we're all in on the Raptors now. That's, uh, I mean, we have to be. Uh, their second round, uh, not many Toronto teams see a second round. You know, we know the Leafs don't, and they're not going to this year. Uh, but the Raptors in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, let's first, I guess, talk about uh, the series against Orlando that they won mm-hmm. 4-1. What impressed you about that series the most? Um, it was just sort of the comeback after game one. Like, they, they had lead a dud in the first game. Like I said, we talked about it before, their game one, his, their game one record's terrible. Um, but just the way that they, they sort of came back and just took over afterwards, they came back game two and they just they blew them out the rest mm-hmm. of the series. It wasn't even a contest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can talk about Orlando being like probably arguably the weakest Team, but they were one of the hottest the teams. Going one in. of the hottest teams coming in. You, you still can never take a an eighth seed or a seven seed lightly or any yeah. seed at all. Because like I said, once you get to the playoffs, anybody can get to come in hot and win it. But I, I think what impressed me the most is just their in the face of adversity after game one, losing a big game one at home. There's a lot of hype around them. They just came back and just completely took over that series. Yeah, um, that's what impressed Dustin me also. Them. Yeah. Is I mean I remember. Do you remember a couple of years ago uh, when it was obviously Demar and Kyle running the team? Remember the first? Uh, it's the year they went to the Eastern Conference Final against uh, the Cavaliers. I think that was the one year they made a serious or tried to make a serious run to the NBA Finals. They had to win both of those series in seven games. They beat the Pacers in seven, and they beat the Heat in seven. And they obviously had to rely on their. You know, they had a tough time winning on the road. In those, uh, in those series. So they had to rely on home court advantage. What I found so impressive was they got down one 
they ran the table and won two road games mm-hmm. convincingly. Like not 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 like not, not getting by, um, not not just getting by. They won convincingly on those road games, and I think for me, that is what a number one, number two seed does in the playoffs. Right? They, Mitch Marner is at the Raptors game right now. Jordan was totally mesmerized. When he just popped up, popped up on the TV. Look at all the talent there. Taylor say, Hall. Is this LA? PK Sabatman. Look, like, look at all the stars. Drake's there. Drake's PK. There. They just showed Milos Raonic. Like, there's a lot of Canadians here. But, like, this is, like, something you'd see, like, LA watching the Lakers play. You see, like, Jack Nich- Nicholson there. Yeah. Like, this is it. I, and I, I thought about that last game, too. I'm like, wow, there's actually a lot of stars in Toronto now. Like, it's... Well, turn it into dude, a, turn into a basketball hotbed. The hype sure. is real. Yeah, it is. I have I don't know about you, but I have never felt so confident in a Raptors team. Yeah. And a lot of it is what they did in the first round against Orlando. Those are what dominant teams do. Right? Dominant teams put away those weaker teams, those number seven, eight seeds. Right. I have never felt so confident in a Raptor team. I think they're going to handle the Sixers. I, I think they're uh, I think they are a complete favorite to make the NBA Finals. Yeah, like th- I said it earlier at the beginning of the playoffs. Raptors fans need to start considering these guys an NBA title favorite. Yeah, they're, they're that. Not maybe a favorite, but a favorite in the East to make the finals. Well, we can already, I mean we can talk about that in a second. I, I they might even be a favorite to win it. I think baby steps make the finals first, yeah. but who knows what you can do when you make it to the finals? We see that. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't Curry and, and Clay, weren't they, were they healthy scratches in game one against the Clippers? We'll have to double check on that, but they, they've been hurt though. They've been questionable. Yeah. It's just been, been KD who's been going off, but I mean, one step at a time, we got to win the East first yeah. to me. The only teams that can beat the Raptors are the Bucks and the Warriors. What about the Celtics? Uh, I like I, I, I like the Celtics. I like Toronto's chances They're against handling, the Celtics. They handled the Bucks in Game One. They did, they did. But I, I really liked. We we see the Celtics well, four times a year. I like the way we match up against the Celtics. Uh, I, I really. I, what scares me about the Celtics is Kyrie Irving. When that guy wants to play, yeah, he can go off. But I mean. Look at Giannis and Tatumpo. Like, if he wants to go off, he can as well. This guy's the MVP of the league. For some reason, I, I I just see I see the Milwaukee Bucks as a better shooting team than the Celtics. The Celtics might have the best shooter in Kyrie Irving, but overall, I see the Bucks as the best, the better shooting team. That's why they scare me a bit. Better in the three, better with the three. I think. Um, I think those are the only teams that can really pose a threat to knock off or to knock off the Raptors in a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. I, I love their chances against. They handled 76ers at home. I don't know how much credit I'll give to Drake by wearing the Philly jersey, but they handled the 76ers in game one. Right now, they're just down. They're down by three. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you expect the 76ers to make a little bit of a push here. Yeah. Well, they were down. The Raptors were down by like 14. When they came yeah. back, yeah. yeah. That's resilience, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's, th- that's a Kawhi factor. What is the resilience? Resilience and drive. That's that's all him, and he look at him, he's motoring now. How much of this success so far for the Raptors and this idea of the Raptors being a real contender is Kawhi Leonard? If you had to put a percentage on it, I would say fifty percent. 
fifty. That's kind of, I was expecting you to say somewhere in terms higher. of in terms of play on the on the uh, on the court. And if you look at the statistics, it say it's fifty percent Kawhi, it's fifty percent Pascal Siakam. Yeah. In terms of carrying them through the series, Kyle Lowry, yeah, he's their point guard. He's he's been a non-factor. Um, they're all, this whole this whole playoff series is relying on those two guys right there. And they're like they're quite the one-two punch. Without them, they're they're out even in the first round. They're, there's no yeah. way they would even get past the Sixers if they didn't have them. If you were to take their team from last year and and put them into this series, they'd be they'd be they'd be down one zero. They might they might still I I still think they might have gone past the Orlando still even with like Demar and like the if guys. you're saying if they didn't have Kawhi if they didn't have Kawhi if they didn't make that trade in the offseason, they still had Demar and mm-hmm. Pirtle and they were in this this exact same playoff scenario this year. I still think they would have got by Orlando. Might not have been in five, but definitely I think they'd be definitely down not against, in five against Philly. They'd probably be six or seven. Kawhi brings that defensive awareness and responsibility that the Raptors didn't have before. DeMar DeRozan didn't have that. And you can really tell why Kawhi is like a top five player in the NBA. He's incredible. He has, he's a monster. His wingspan's incredible. He can do it all. He can defend, he can score, he can set up plays. Like he's, he's everything you, it's, he's everything the Toronto Raptors want in a superstar. He's also humble. Right? He's humble. He, he doesn't care about, how many points he gets as long as the Raptors are succeeding and as long as the Raptors are winning. He got 45 points the other night. Do you know who holds the all-time record for points in a playoff game? Is it Vince Carter? Yeah, Vince Carter. Do you know how many that is? 50. 50 points was the career playoff record held by Vince Carter. Kawhi could have got 50 points that night. Easily. He, got, he, he had 23 in the first quarter. But he said after the game, and this is what I respect about Kawhi the most. You know, stats are not my, this is not a direct quote, but stats are not my thing. I don't care about how many points I get as long as we win. He has bought into the team mentality. And I think if the Raptors were ever looking for a superstar, it's a superstar that's not about himself. And Kawhi is not about me, 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 me. Kawhi, Kawhi, Kawhi. He's about the team. And I think that's, that makes for a very healthy locker room. That makes for a very healthy team environment. And I think that makes the case for them being not only skilled, but a cohesive team that can do a lot of damage in these playoffs. And so far they have been. But I can definitely agree with you that Siakam plays a big role in why this team looks even scarier than maybe just having Kawhi on the team. It brings that, du- that dual threat. And, and you know when teams are, are talking about Siakam, they're not even talking about Le- Leonard. Because you, well, it it, shows you if you double up on Kawhi, yeah. Siakam can kill yeah. you in the paint as well. He can, he can drive the net. The guy's huge as well. Yeah. He's like what Bruno Caboclo was supposed to be. Remember that Bruno was supposed to be like the next, like the next KD, like... With a wingspan, like he's almost like that. He's a big guy, right? He has a huge wingspan, huge hands. He's a beast. Draws fouls. He can shoot. I think his defensive game has really taken off, and a lot of that is because of Kawhi, the influence of Kawhi Leonard. But Siakam plays a big role in this. That's a great one-two punch the Raptors have going. Now. 
how big is Kawhi Leonard? All right, maybe I should rephrase the question. Is he the ultimate selling piece in keeping Kawhi Leonard for next year? Uh, absolutely. And, he, and even Kawhi praises Siakam when you even hear his interviews. And I think, you know, the fact that they have that one-two punch and, and the fact that they're playing so well, they have a great chemistry. Their whole team does. But without Siakam, Kawhi's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. But you, we also got to see. I mean, the Raptors, they have some other pieces, right? They have OG. Yeah. It's not just I'm sure, Siakam. I'm like, sure Kawhi is really in a win now. Yeah. He wants to come back and, 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 and prove that he is that player that, you know, was the NBA Finals MVP. Like, he wants to win now. He doesn't want to wait around. He wants yeah. to win it this year. It's almost a blessing. Like, he, Siakam's almost a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Because if you have to point to another player and say, well, Kawhi, why should Kawhi Leonard play or stay, I should say? Look at the emergence of Pascal Siakam. And clearly you guys can play well together. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think if he if I don't think if he plays as well as he is now, they they don't make it to the finals. Yeah. If there is a reason why they do make it there, it's because of both of them. It's not because of of just Leonard. Leonard's not a type of guy that can I mean, he is the type of guy that that can carry you to a finals, but again, I mean, unless you're LeBron, but they're both. You, you yeah. need you need a one-two punch, or you need yeah someone else to carry the load as well. And they found that in Siakam. They're both good leaders too. They're selfless. Yeah, they care. They're the, the perfect. They're the perfect teammates that you need to play together. And, you're, and yeah. they're going to have success together. It's just a matter of time. They put in. They're they're both extremely hardworking. They they both only care about winning. They don't care about any individual statistics, like you said earlier. And they're great teammates and great guys, and that's that's exactly who you want in your team to win a championship with. Right. And those are the guys that end up winning championships because they put in that hard work and because they're so selfless on the, on the court. I think where the Raptors need to improve, and maybe this is a this is a topic that we can get to down the road. But I, I argued before Kyle Lowry. I don't know if he's a star anymore. He's a good point guard, but he's not a star anymore. He does some good things on the court, works hard, battles for the ball. I mean, he's he battles every night, Kyle Lowry. But he's with age and the back injury. Obviously, he's not, he's not the same Kyle Lowry as before. I think his best years are behind him. But Pascal Siakam, I've, I've said it once before, he's a big reason for the success of this Raptors team right now, and he might be a big reason why Kawhi Leonard decides potentially to stay. Kawhi's got options, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Kawhi um, and where he's going to end up next year. Let's just hope he's on the Raptors because, man, is it fun watching the guy. It's fun watching a superstar in Toronto. Well, you talk about a point guard and their need. There is a a big name that is going to be a free agent this year. That's Kemba Walker. Oh, and Charlotte is not a contending team, so you know he's going to be thinking about leaving. Wow. And I thought about this when, when all the talk was of him leaving after the, after the season and them not making the playoffs. He's the first guy I thought about. I said, wow, he'd be amazing on the Raptors because he's just torched Toronto every time that they play. It's a good player. And having him, imagine having Kemba, Kawhi, and Pascal. That's a, three, that's a three-headed monster. Yeah. I, if I'm Masai... 
And if Masai, if by off chance you are listening, Kemba Walker, the name, throw at third money at him. You get Kemba, you get Kawhi. You'll win a championship. We'll see how far this team, how far this roster, I should say, takes the Raptors. But boy, you can add a guy like Kemba Walker on your team. Mm-hmm. It's what the Raps need, a star point guard, because I think Lowry's lost a little bit of that step or lost that status as a star um, as a star point guard. Man, that would be... You kind of fired me up with that one. Kemba Walker. I think he'd be a great... Is he, is he, so he's an unrestricted free agent? So, yeah. Wow. Um, that's something. So the Raptors currently down uh, to the 76ers, but they're a resilient bunch. Um... We'll see if they can come back and uh, and take a two nothing series lead. Staying with the NBA, did you hear the whole Houston talk today, or Houston accusing yep. uh, the refs of non calls and, and Golden State preferential treatment? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it is pretty justified. I mean, there was even talk of. Uh, I think it was D'Antoni came out and said that they went back and they looked at all the game film, um, even from uh, even last year, and they were counting all of the uh, the non calls that they had. I think it just just speaks huge vol- huge volumes about and and not just in the NBA but across all leagues. It's just how friggin' inconsistent the refereeing has been, and per- per- potentially bias um, towards and to show favoritism between. Uh, the league and some of these teams like it just it just makes you wonder like is there any sort of fixing going on in these leagues yeah or what because it just makes you think like if you have a team that actually had to go back and review all their game film from past series and actually count and they they, they looked at the seven game series last year against against the Warriors count the missed calls that they had it just makes you wonder like is there any sort of fixing or even favoritism that leads towards some teams? And it's the Warriors, obviously one. And, it, and LeBron is the same yeah. way too. We would argue even when um, LeBron, and no matter what team he was on, when he would play against the Raptors, there are always calls going his way. Let, and let me, let me preface this story a little more. The Houston Rockets um, felt that they were a bit cheated out of their game one loss against uh, Golden State. The Rockets feel like the Golden State Warriors are receiving a major officiating, officiating advantage. So basically that that they're not getting called for a lot of fouls and they're getting a lot of fouls called for. And they've actually gone back. This is Houston. They have their own team, their own team of uh, individuals who've been collecting data and statistics on calls that have gone against them and for the Golden State Warriors based on previous games against Golden State. Right? And they actually went back to their seven-game series last year, and I think they mentioned that they have an overall loss of 93 potential points from missed calls. So the Rockets found that they had a double-digit point deficit in six of the seven games and an overall loss of 93 points from missed calls. You split that up in between seven games, that can severely be the difference between winning and losing. And I think when they looked at game seven, the report indicated the club should have scored 18 more points. Now, I can't remember what the final of game seven was, but 18 
more points can definitely mean the difference between a win and a loss. Because we're talking about a team that won, we're talking about Golden State who won the NBA Finals last year, won the championship. Right, so this is, um, this is a big claim. It's a, it's a big claim by Houston to have, you must be pretty confident in it if you're sending a team to look back on this footage and look back on this data. Golden State, uh, just go back on that. Golden State won by nine. Right. That game. So, I mean, Houston feels that they lost or should have scored. You even get half points. those points, you're going overtime. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't know how much stock I take in in this, but I think it's an interesting story to bring up because as, as, as fans of the Raptors, we're always ones on the opposite end of the stick saying, where's our calls? Heck, I don't even think the Raptors got enough calls against Orlando. I felt that mm-hmm. they were even Kawhi Leonard was a bit disrespected on his lack of trips to the free throw line, right? So, do you, I mean, do you think there's some merit here to this story? Like, do you think there's something there? Yeah, because I, I seen the replays of of the non calls on last just in last night's game alone, and just like even watching, not a, a diehard NBA fan like some people, but. I mean, you watch enough to just to clearly see that this does happen. Um, and you're right; it has happened in the past with LeBron James. He gets he got all, every it call happens in every LeBron. season, and, and Demar and, and Kyle would get nothing. And it happens. They they favor they favor certain players. They they favor certain teams. It is obvious in some cases. And you want to talk about the argument the argument for and against replay and challenges and and VAR in sports as well. Like this is the reason why people want it. And this is the reason why they want to introduce it is because there's such a inconsistency with refing across all sports that they ha- they're going to start relying on there will probably be challenges coming to the NBA if that's going to be the case. You'll be able to challenge a foul. Yeah. And and in that case that that game last night would give me a, a great reason before it. Mm-hmm. If you're down in a game and you get fouled on a last-second shot that doesn't get called, and you lose a game. That could definitely be a reviewable call. Mm-hmm. You should, and coaches' challenges might get introduced. And I know people think it slows down the game even more. Like basketball can be an extremely slow game, especially it, in the last is. minute with all the timeouts. And they don't want to. They don't want to slow the game down anymore. These are crucial calls. Like screw a team out of a chance to either win a series, game, or finals. Yeah. So like stuff like that, if the refing continues to be so bad and so lopsided, then that would that would make me four challenges and replays. I don't think the officiating in two major sports. Actually, let's let's go with three major sports: yeah. football, NHL, the NBA, and the NFL has ever been under more scrutiny than it has been this year. Yeah. Look at all these big blown calls that have been yeah. uh, deciding like. Deciding the outcomes of games, right? Yeah. Rams versus uh, Saints. Oh, there you go. Right? They literally changed the rule this year because Sean Payton was making a big deal. Yeah, but at, only after a team got screwed. Only after a team got screwed, right? Yeah. Look at, I mean, last night's game, Houston versus the Warriors. There's something there. They missed a call. Look at the San Jose Sharks night series. It's a missed call that influenced the result of a game. And then, I mean, I, I even point to Toronto and Boston series. Both ways, there was a lot of missed calls. So I don't think I've never seen ever uh, in my time watching sports 
refs being so under scrutiny um, and, and, and some of their decisions having the results and or their direct results in influencing how a game goes. So that, that's kind of interesting. Last thing with the NBA, my favorite player right now besides Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. Awesome guy. Like, awesome player. Rooting for him, too, because he hasn't had, in terms of playoff success, he hasn't had much. Small market team. Not surrounded by stars in any means. Not a super team. But I respect him because he's, yeah. he's come out and said openly... I want to stay and build a winner in Portland. I don't want to go and jump ship to another team. I don't want to pull a Kevin Durant and go to a winner. I want to build a winner where I am. I want to attract players to come here. I want to build well, build upon what we have here. I can respect that. And now this year, it's kind of it's 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 paying off for him. Blazers are a good team, and they and they have built on what they have. Um, they they have built on what they've been. Um, you know, building off what they have there, and it's it's great to see. And he's playing out of his mind. And that shot he had to win that series against OKC was incredible. Do you hear that he sold six thousand pairs of his shoes after he hit that game-winning shot? Really goes to show you how that does make a difference in branding yourself. Like the in-game performances in the NBA is the difference between selling or not selling your sneaker or your shoe. He sold 6,000 pairs the next day. Well, we said it with Tiger. Shout out to Nike. Yeah. Cashed in. Cash after money. These guys. Yeah. Just goes to show investing, investing in these athletes does pay off. Is Paul George a baby for his comments after yes. the game? I think so. I think if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about a couple of prima donnas on the same team, you Russell Westbrook and Paul George yeah, on the same team. Sometimes. Those guys, I'm telling you right now, those guys will never win a title. Never. Hot take. Like that's it. and that that's do it. That's my hot take. Paul I, George I, I don't disagree. and Russell Westbrook will never win an NBA championship. Paul George what he said after Damian Lillard hit that shot in his post-game press conference, that was a bad shot. How could you say that it was a bad shot? He nailed he it. He nailed it. Swish. Game over. See ya. I think Seth Curry called game on that shot too. For Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. It was interesting hearing Lillard's comments too because he came out and said afterwards, like, and it just goes to show the type of player he is. And we're talking about like hard work and preparation. And he even said it in the post game that I was practicing that shot in the summer with his trainer. And he said that I worked on that shot all summer to prepare for, and that's how you win, and that's how you you show the type of player or you work on all that stuff in the off season for that moment. Yeah, for that moment right there to captivate an entire fan base, an entire league, and for Paul George to say, "Oh, it was a bad shot," when you when you spent an entire summer practicing for that moment and that exact shot, and you make it. And you stick your middle. He didn't stick middle finger up. He waved goodbye. I love that. Wave goodbye to OKC and the confidence and the balls yeah. that you got to have to pull up and take that shot. It's not. That's a tough angle. I think I'm throwing a little bit in, my, in, the, in the stars this yeah. week. Just getting fired yeah. talking about him. That right that right there goes to show the type of player that Lillard is, and it goes to show the type of players like Paul George. Well, what does Paul George want? 
Nothing. 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 How can you, like Paul George, you've won nothing. So how can you call that a bad shot in an era where people are shooting from everywhere? Nobody would have nobody, nobody been on Curry's ass if, if Steph Curry would have made that point. shot. Yeah, great point. Nobody's talking about this if it's Steph Curry. Which he pulls up and takes that shot probably oh. 10 times a game. 100%. And then Shimmy's after. Yeah. Lillard took a... If the Blazers want someone taking a shot, it's Damian Lillard. So as long as Lillard is throwing up a shot, it's a good shot. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say about it. Paul George, you lost the series. Take it like a man. Give credit where credit's due. Credit's due to Damian Lillard. Series clinching three. Portland is up against Denver. Up against? Denver? Yeah. yeah, that's a good match. They played tonight. That's that's going to be a that's low key really really good series. Mm-hmm. All right. Switching our focus. I mean, talk about hype. Talk about firing up a crowd. Talk about creating a buzz in the city, in an arena, in a stadium in this case. Vladdy Guerrero Jr., guys, is here. And he's here to stay. And we're actually going to be talking about Blue Jays on this podcast. I can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. We almost tried to ignore Blue Jays talk. But, hey, man, they're 500, and Vladdy's here. We completely dusted this team under the rug at the beginning of the year. Well, you got so many more important things to talk about. And we're probably not going to give them as much love today, but going forward, we'll be talking a lot of Jays. If they keep playing this way and keep surprising, yeah. Well, I don't know if they'll keep playing this way. That, that's probably going to be their only sweep of the season. I think they're overachieving a little bit right now. They're, they're a 500 baseball club, but they're not going to finish a 500. They might flirt with 500 throughout the year, but I'm not sure if they'll finish a 500 baseball team. Depending on a lot of things, I guess, right? Well, they got to stay healthy. They, there's there's pending call-ups still, too. There's a lot of talk. I mean, well, it's a big blow with Bo Bichette getting hurt, and he, he looks like he's going to be out for about like six weeks. I don't think he was coming up this year anyway. Um, but there's a lot of talk of uh, Kevin Biggio getting called up because he's tearing up the... What does he play? He's first base. First base? But he's he's been tearing up the minors, and there's a lot of talk that he's going to be the next name to make his debut. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's really shocking about the Jays is they're and sh- and hats off to Montoyo. They're playing small ball. Yeah. The thing that Jays fans have been begging this team to do for the last I'm going to say five years is playing small ball. They never played small never. ball under Gibby. Killed them again killed them in the ALCS against Kansas City. Killed them the year after. They could not get guys on base and they could not score with running or scoring position. Yeah. And what 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 happens? One year, Charlie Montoyo, they play small ball and this team starts winning. It's not a coincidence. And I mean like let, let's be careful when we say winning. Like, they're not supposed to win this year, right? Like, they're not winning the division. They're not making the playoffs. You're getting happy with that 14-14 start right now, aren't you? You're actually thinking they can yeah, make the I thought for Yeah, because I thought they'd be in a position 
Um, like the Red Sox, are? Like, like, 11, at, eight? like yeah, like at least at least almost ten games under. I thought they would be terrible. So looking at the standings right now, you have the Rays at the top of the division at eighteen and nine. Yankees second at seventeen and eleven. Blue Jays are third in the AL East at fourteen and fourteen at five hundred. The Red Sox surprisingly at eleven and seventeen for the, the World Series champions, and then Baltimore is just you know they're they're where they're supposed to be at ten and nineteen. I think you're. Getting a little too happy. It's still extremely right early. Like the first month of the MLB season is not even over. But for as little a hype as I've heard from the Jays in years, and the, just the complete lack of of star power, star power I see in this team that they've had in the last few years, I think they're starting out uh, starting out out of the gate pretty well, especially in the first year under a new a new manager with a very young team. Like they're playing very well. You know what's really impressed me about the Blue Jays so far? The pitching. Yes. Do you see uh, Marcus Stroman? Marcus Stroman's having a one point four three ERA. Especially with with again lack of a lack of sluggers, lack of lack of. Oh, he's only one in three because he's got no run support. Yeah, but he's he is playing the he's playing the best he's ever played. I think he's going to get traded. I, and that's what I hope. I, I was thinking about it the other day because there's, he's he's coming out on social media. He's taking on this sort of leadership role, uh, even with Flatty and like some of the younger players. He is a, he is one of the older guys on the team, even though he's still in his twenties. But the thing that really bothers me is that he's at a point where he's really starting to come into his own. He's healthy. He's pitching incredibly well, and. He's coming out on social media. He's taking younger players under his wing. He wants to be a leader. He wants to be a good role model for this fan base. And I'm afraid, and you mentioned it, that they're just going to come out and trade him. But shouldn't they? They're committed to a rebuild. I don't think they should. I think they should keep these guys. So it all depends on when you think this team is going to be able to compete again. So if you're saying not to trade him, you think the Jays can be ready to compete Within the next three years for a playoff spot. With these with these A level prospects that they have, I think they can. Mm-hmm. And baseball's baseball's an interesting sport. A lot of turnover. Because there's a lot of turnover, but there's also no cap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't have to play this cap game where they have to dump guys and stuff. It's all about payroll in the MLB. They can easily they can easily say, look what look what we've got here. These guys like like the Leafs a few years ago. These guys just come out of nowhere and they just they start shining like they could just instantly turn on ahead and just say, you know, we can just start dumping money in this payroll. But, but do, do I think they do you think will? That's possible? Do I think yeah, they will? Do I think this question. management and do I think this ownership group would do that? I don't think so. And that's what's killed the Jays since the nineties. And that's what pisses me off about the Blue yeah. Jays is they should be a team that spends in yeah. well into the luxury tax, right? They're they're a team that's owned by Rogers. You should be spending big money. And, and this is also where I, I kind of get uh, weary of Shapiro. He's a guy who drafts, develops players, and sells them for a high price, right? And you know, I hope to God he doesn't do this with Vladdy and Bobuchette down the road. But for me, when we talk, we're talking about Marcus Stroman. If you're going to commit to the rebuild, I think you got to trade him because right now his stock couldn't be higher. stock couldn't be higher right now 
And I think that's what this is all about. I think this is all about showcasing some of these guys like Stroman and Sanchez. You'll get, you'll fetch a pretty good return for those guys, and you'll continue to add to your farm system, which we know is being replenished in a very effective manner. Blue Jays had no farm system when Shapiro came in. Now, through the selling, through the um, exodus of all these players that the Jays once had as part of those um, playoff runs, they've rebuilt the farm system. They've gotten players like Vladdy, who is here. They've gotten players like Bo Bichette. I think it's. I think you got to keep filling up your farm system. That's just that's my take on it. I see where you're coming from too. Stroman's a valuable pitcher, and maybe if you can see yourself being competitive in a couple years, you keep him. But I don't know. It all the, all depends on. It depends on a lot of things. It depends on the success. Um, it depends on the success of the Blue Jays this year. Jordan just opened up a tweet. From Kyle, did you just did that pop up on your screen? Oh, our good buddy Preet Singh sent it. Oh, shout out to Preeter. He wants Brian G to apply for it. I think he'd be great for it. What's the position? So this is a posting by Kyle Dubas. They're hiring for a hockey research and development position with MLSE to go back to this sort of millennial uh, analytics sort of approach to the Leafs. You gonna apply to it? I don't think I'm that qualified. No. I don't think Mike Babcock was that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. He's obviously qualified. So, I mean, we'll, we'll close off with this. Your first, your first impression of Mr. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually stunned. I just can't believe this kid's just walked into Toronto and just won over everybody in one day. Like he's only he, he, his first night. He he played his game. There was what twenty five thousand fans. I they think. cheered him on a ground out. Yeah, he threw a foul Standing ball on a ground out into the stands, and the stadium went nuts. Mm-hmm. Everything it's like King Midas. Like everything he was touching that night just went to gold, turned to gold, and the fans just went crazy. Yeah, and. You know, it was impressive. Like, I, I had a feeling, like, he, obviously the nerves were there. You could tell he was pretty nervous. Um, even but when he looked, showing him but at the same base. time, he looked pretty cool. He looked comfortable. He didn't look too nervous. He didn't look starstruck or awestruck. Um, but I think what he was doing was just getting his feet wet in the right way. He wasn't swing happy. He wasn't just striking out and swinging at everything. He was, it's going to take him a lot of time to get major league pitching down in terms of like speed and types of pitches and like going up against these you know stud pitchers because they're going to be throwing everything right. at him but and it's going to take him some, I think you're going it's going to take him some time for him to start hitting some home runs I thought he was going to hit a dinger the first game I thought he was but I also thought like based on how his his first one I knew he was going to just yeah, try takes, and settle in time. and get get comfortable it takes time but when he does get going watch out and he's Pretty athletic for a big dude. Like he's, he's a fast. big guy. He's fast. But he's a big guy. Like yeah. he's, he's thick boned. Yeah, he's, he's he's not he's not like fat. He's, no, he's not fat. Like I don't want. He's to... he's thick. He's thick. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's a big he's ass. A mobile, he's a mobile guy. If, if you got to play third baseman, you have to be extremely mobile. Yeah. And and you, and you know what? He, he's a that. mobile big guy. He can move. 
And I, I can't wait to see him hit his first dinger. The place is going to go bananas. Three games. He had three hits. I don't know what to make of this. Super stat remaining this number. Something that Tim and Sid often usually say. But the 3-0 with him in the lineup. I don't think that's a... I think it's a meaningless number, but just thought I'd throw that out there. Vladdy. The Vladdy hype continues. Right, the Vladdy hype continues tomorrow night um, in L.A. against uh, Mike Trout and the Los Angeles uh, Angels. So uh, we're still patiently waiting for that first stinger. You know that you know Twitter's going to go off. Um, Twitter's going to go absolutely off when he hits his first home run. A uh, lot of hype around Vladdy. It's warranted. This guy, this kid's going to be the real deal. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking a lot about him uh, over the summer and over this long MLB season. Three stars. Should we get to it? Let's do it. Three stars. First star of the week. You want to go? Well, it's the guy we just talked about, Mr. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Making his MLB debut. Got his first hit, his first game. Like you said, Jays are 3-0. and Toronto's got a new star, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. You getting his jersey? No, because every time I get a jersey, they either um, have a poor season or they get traded pretty quickly. So I might hop on I'm that train. I'm not sold yet. Yeah, I need a new. I need a new Jays jersey though, because the only Jays jersey I have, Ricky Romero. Oh, that's horrible. I need a replacement. Oof. I think Vladdy's. It's your time. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a good. Vladdy will be here to stay for a while. Yeah. I think you're okay. Uh, so yeah, Vladdy Guerrero. Honestly, probably nervous, but he looked pretty, he looked like a cool cat going into that uh, that first series. And the kid's only going to continue to get better. Second star of the week, man. I'm going Kawhi Leonard. Playoff Kawhi is a real thing. There is this guy talked about another level that he could get to. He, he, he's there. He's gotten to it. Um, Kawhi Leonard going off so far in the NBA playoffs. Went for 45 on Saturday night against the Sixers. Not sure how many he has tonight, but the Raptors are down right now. Unfortunate. But Kawhi Leonard. Third star, we we made a quick adjustment on this one. We, we got to go Dame. Yeah, we got to go Dame. We just pumped his tires for about 20 minutes. We got yeah. to go Dame Leonard. Let's hope he, get it, he gets it done tonight. I want to see a good game later. We were going to go with Pascal. Maybe we could just slot in Pascal in that second star with Kawhi because they're both 45 and 29. Kawhi got 45 points. Pascal got 29. Like that's, that's crazy. That's crazy production from your two top players. Damian Lillard, third star of the week. Buddy, don't listen to a word. Paul George, Paul George hasn't won anything Paul George can watch the rest of the NBA playoffs at home damn you keep doing your thing Damian Lillard every time you hit a shot like that to close out the team and you wave goodbye to the team you just eliminated you're gonna get a star on this show all right three stars of the week Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Kawhi Leonard slash Pascal Siakam and Damian Lillard all right guys Thanks for listening. Make sure, follow us. Follow us on Instagram, at purposely underscore offside. We're on Twitter, at PO Sports Talk. Send us an email, purposelyoffside at gmail.com. 
comment. Let us know uh, what you want us to talk about. We're going to have some free time now that the Leafs are out. So we'll actually be talking about different sporting events. Well, we'll still be talking Leafs. Yeah, we'll still be talking Who Leafs. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding, man? We're still talking. We'll always talk Leafs in this show. Um, comment, subscribe, listen to us on Anchor. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Spotify, wherever we're. Thanks for listening, guys. 